World Outlook Conference taking place January 29th and 30th. Uh, best track record in the business at the World Outlook Conference. You can go to moneytalks.net. I was thinking with Christmas coming up, you know, if you want, as your kids get older, it's, you know, some people find it more difficult to find things that are meaningful. Well, I suggest, why don't you make a day of it? Why don't you make a weekend of it? Take your kid to the World Outlook Conference. We still have, I can't believe how many people have already requested this, but uh, which is great. You know me, I want to have kids attend this, young people attend it help them uh, fill the gaps that our public education system seems to have no interest whatsoever in filling, and hence the caliber of our debates when subjects like economics seem to be devoid of even common sense, or the, certainly the fundamentals of economics and finance. But as I say, buy your ticket. I think we still have about 50 left uh, for you can bring a young person for free. But I'm saying, why don't you fly in? Why don't you bus in? Why don't you take your car in? and go to the Western Bayshore. It's the best rate they've ever given us on rooms, and make a weekend of it. I, I think it would be a terrific weekend. You're looking for a Christmas gift idea. I think that's a good one. WorldOutlookConference.com, uh, but just go to MoneyTalks.net. Click on the events button. It's right there. Very pleased to welcome back to the show one of my big favorites. This is a guy that I can tell you right now. Other analysts look at his work. Why? Because the depth and breadth of it is superior. So if they say, hey, there's an unemployment number, I'm going to have a look at what Greg Weldon's got to say about it because he's going to peel back the next 11 layers to really get to what's going on. That's why I'm very pleased to welcome back to the show Greg Weldon. Greg, I appreciate you taking the time, and I want to start with a bang and ask you all the debate about whether the Federal Reserve is going to raise rates in December or not. You know, it's been a back-and-forth tug-of-war. I think the consensus is that they are going to in December. What's your take? Well, there's two clear-cut paths here. I mean, you know, I have said all along, you know, way back to last year, uh, when at this time last year, the markets were pricing several Fed rate hikes by now that have not materialized. So let's keep that in mind. We said all along, this is a verbal game, Michael. This is about the forward markets. This is about, you know, maintaining balance, maintaining some sense of, you know, we could do this. Uh, They have built in a very steep expectation for Fed rate hikes. Uh, out through 2017, that expectation has flattened over time as they have not fulfilled it already. So as we come into the end of the year, the thought process is that a lot of this, again, is still kind of puppeteering because you have a lot of potential tangents and unintended consequences that could uh, result from, a, from just even a simple rate hike. That's kind of the first line of thinking. The other line of thinking is the Fed wants to move. They use the rationalization of normalization, which to me is a way overused word, because if you're going to normalize rates, that would imply that you have a normal inflation dynamic, and then you can take the five-year note up to 3 or 4%, and I think that would cause immense problems. Uh, so, you know, the fear would be that they take path number two is we want to hike, we want to show confidence in the economy that might bolster confidence, you know, in the consumer again, because... Frankly, Michael, I mean, the consumer is kind of struggling here. I mean, the economy is functioning, uh, but at the same time, it's not producing reflation. So from that perspective, you know, the only thing that has reflated is the equity market, and they threaten to potentially choke that off if they raise interest rates here, and it has some negative unintended consequences, whether that be the U.S. budget, the U.S. deficit, the U.S. debt, we could talk about that, whether it has implications for the dollar, which in my mind is the biggest component of this discussion, and we can continue with that if you want, but I mean the dollar and the potential to exert more deflation from a rate hike 
through the commodities markets and into emerging markets is the biggest risk that the Fed faces right here. Well, I mean, I'm so on record as talking about that I think the U.S. dollar is the key component to look at virtually every market. I mean, people wonder why gold's trending so much lower. Well, it's measured in U.S. dollars. Uh, It's the same thing that I think oil prices can't make any headway on because of a high U.S. dollar that I think personally is going higher. And I think your point's such a good one that they've raised interest rates moving money to the U.S. just becomes even more attractive. I mean, we've got negative rates happening in about nine countries in Europe. So, gee, that's not a tough one. Hey, I can keep my money in Europe and get minus, you know, 0.5%, or I can move to the States and get a positive yield. I, I think they're they're asking for it if they raise rates because money's going to flow in and push that higher dollar higher. And they're concerned about this, Michael, and I think this is really, again, the most important topic of conversation right now because – it's not just the euro. I mean, it's you, you have the dollar strong by default because other countries yeah. are easing, trying to use their currency to depreciate. Because guess what? You don't have market share growth anywhere. And exports are stagnant to down. And that's a problem for so many countries. And it's not just Europe. In fact, what's going on is, I mean, the dollar, again, broke out on Friday. Okay, dollar in gold terms is making new multi-year highs here. And when you look at the breadth of currencies that are at or near Record lows. It is a very long list, and it encompasses so many little, you know, uh, uh, you can put out your tentacles into places in the world you would never think of, like Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Armenia, all those currencies at record lows last week. Kenya, Zambia, Egypt, uh, Tunisia, Morocco, all those currencies at new lows last, last uh, week. In terms of multi-year lows, you've got places like Poland and Hungary. They're kind of more mainstream. Okay, take the African rand, for example. Take rupee. The rupee has been depreciating here and, you know, on a monthly closing basis, close to a new record low, as is the Russian ruble. Okay, these are two, you know, more mainstream emerging market currencies. Gold in those currencies, despite the fact that those currencies are at near multi-year lows, is on the verge of breaking down technically. That screams deflation to me, Michael, and especially when you apply it to what happens if the Fed actually goes ahead and raises rates and the dollar goes even higher. You have a real issue of commodity deflation affecting so many countries in the world, and that could be a negative consequence that could be, you know, overwhelm some of the positive things you might gain from a confidence perspective. And even that, I question, frankly. Well, I mean, and of course, uh, one of those countries that gets heavily impacted would be Canada. I mean, one of the things we've seen here, Greg, is, uh, you know, the Bank of Canada had Stephen Polos, uh, that great line he said is that we're, our economic performance is serially disappointing. Uh, just got new numbers from our finance uh, ministry. We got new numbers uh, from our parliamentary budget office, which is like your congressional budget office. Uh, you know, every time you hear from them, it's a downgrade of economic growth. And they come out very bluntly and say, because we've underestimated the impact that resources have in a ripple through effect in our whole economy. So you continue that deflationary trend and look, the action of China this last week's got to depress people with a huge drop in their market again on Thursday. I mean, that's a very dangerous scenario. It is, and those countries, I mean, Canada is right in line with, you know, places as far out as Kazakhstan. I mean, they really are. I mean, it's a resource export, you know, driven economy, at least at the margin. Okay, you have a currency, and the Canadian dollar is pressing against the multi-year low. you got to go back, you know, to 2008. You can make the same case in a place that's kind of Anglo currencies, even against the dollar, are the same way. The U.K., very disappointing macroeconomic news this past week. Retail sales, it's been a stalwart, has been the consumer. That's now failing. Home prices had reflated. 
they're now disinflating. I mean, so from the perspective of even uh, Sterling and even the U.K. and the Bank of England, who is expected to raise rates, that has not uh, fulfilled that potential mandate. I mean, you know, just look down under, too, Australia. I mean, you don't need to tie in China any better than to look at Australia in terms of resources, exports, the commodity play, and what the currency is doing. Um, so, again, to me, that's where I backtrack. And I say the Fed is just puppeteering here because they got to remain as if they look credible, as if they look vigilant. And, Michael, to me, the biggest thing that we have seen in the last couple of weeks was very pointed. It was a presentation, and you can go to the St. Louis Fed website and see this presentation. I did a complete write-up on this last week. Uh, and uh, uh, St. Louis Fed President Bullard uh, did this presentation, spoke in front of a bunch of people, and had a PowerPoint with slides. It was great. Right? And what did he say at the end? He started talking about the dollar. And not only that, but he said the markets have priced in uh, the rise in the dollar, already uh, uh, incorporates the fact that we're going to raise and the ECB is going to unleash more QE. To me, that comment was alarm bells are going off everywhere. I didn't hear much talk about it you know, in the pop media at all. The Fed has not spoken about the dollar in terms of relative monetary policies at all. First time. And to me, this is the big wild card out there. Is a potential coordinated kind of officialdom uh, verbalization attack on the dollar. Because if they actually do, in fact, want to raise rates, they're going to have to verbalize the dollar or it will take off and it'll be a problem. And I don't think people are, are potentially, you know, thinking what if, what if, to the point of what if they come in and kind of waylay the dollar. Now, wouldn't that be interesting, especially with gold at new lows? Well, it's it's absolutely fascinating because I think their latitude continues to shrink. Uh, they're very close to damned if they do, damned if they don't. What's the message if they don't raise? Is they're basically saying they're actually pointing the spotlight on all these other problems. Uh, you know, so it's it's an incredible situation. That's why, as I told you at the outset, people, uh, analysts in the business, go and have a look at Greg Weldon, WeldonOnline.com, WeldonOnline.com, and you can get a free trial to uh, Greg Weldon live there. He's also got a great service called Trend Tracker. So, as you know, on this show, we always say, check out the trend of whether you're talking about Canadian stocks, you're talking about Australian stocks, you know, uh, metals, energy, equities, that kind of stuff. Uh, we always say, check out the trend first before you make your specific. Well, Greg Weldon does that on Weldon Financial. I'll take a break. I can come back. I'll talk specifically about things you should avoid, maybe a couple things Greg is looking at with interest as he goes forward into 2016. Greg Weldon, right after the break. Tragically, a ton of talk about terrorist attacks, obviously in the aftermath of what happened in Paris, Beirut, Russian jetliner. The list is a long one. Mali, uh, Copenhagen, Lahore, Marseille, Nigeria. Here's the question. It's my shocking stat of the week. How many people have been killed in terrorist attacks in 2015? You know, we have an awful lot of people offering up opinions. I think way too many underestimating the degree of threat. So, simple question. If you have an opinion, maybe you should know this answer. How many people have been killed in terrorist attacks this year? My shocking stat coming up. Right now, very pleased to have with me Greg Weldon, WeldonOnline.com. You can go right to it. You can get a free trial of the Weldon Live report uh, from Greg. All sorts of sectors, you name it. He talks about it. precious metals of interest here, agriculture's of interest, uh, energies of interest, uh, so, Weldon Online, W-E-L-D-O-N, online.com. 
Greg, uh, just before the break, we were sort of going through a, a lot of scenarios, and there, this is a challenging time in the world. That's why I'm so passionate about our governments not doing the right things. We, can't, we don't have any latitude here. You can't make any more mistakes. And I think, by the way, the scenario you described in Canada, we're experiencing governments who are absolutely complacent about the kind of global context that they're operating in and the impact it's going to be, especially if, you, as you say, deflation gains more momentum. Let's talk about the individual investors. Uh, what kind of message would you like to give them? I mean, what, what areas are you avoiding like the plague and others that maybe are of interest? Well, the first thing I'll say is that the positions that we have and we still uh, promote in, in terms of believing they will continue to work out as they have is uh, yield curve flattening trades. You're long the bond market and short the front end of the yield curve. Uh, and uh, being long the dollar, which is really more a function of being short a variety of emerging market currencies. Um, from here, yes, it becomes so much more tricky. I think that the thing you have to understand is from a bigger, bigger picture, major top-down perspective. I think kind of what's going on that people don't want to think about or they don't see or, like you say, they're complacent because certainly when you take the U.S. Uh, outstanding government debt from $9 trillion to $18 trillion and no one blinks an eye, that's complacency yeah. to the max. Okay, When you talk about a five-year uh, average, co- uh, average uh, maturity and a you know, 1.9 average coupon yield on $18 trillion of debt and you see the five-year note, where is it? At 190, that's complacency where if you go higher, you have an explosive potential kickback into the economy. I think the bigger picture is, in that sense, that QE has kind of made things function again, but it hasn't fixed anything. And to the, to the degree that stock markets have been the beneficiaries and thus more polarization of wealth. You've seen greater social disruptions and so on and so forth. All of that's happening. Okay. But again, it's like people are kind of been lulled into sleep to thinking that everything is back to normal and now we can normalize rates. And that's why they love to use that word. Well, if they go ahead and do that, I think it's the emperor is exposed for having no clothes. It is the emperor has no clothes scenario where they hike rates, think things are normal. And guess what? They're not. And that is the risk, risk they run of unleashing that kind of deflation that then impacts stock markets. And that is the kind of thing, you don't want to have to see that happen, but what kind of thing has to happen to get them to understand that this has all been facilitated by printing more money? Now, the problem mm-hmm. is printing more money is not an academic answer. It never has been. It's never been the right answer to begin with. But we're 20 years past the time when what, that was the application necessary. So it's not about what's right or wrong. It's about what is going to happen. And what always happens is when pain comes, they do something for pain avoidance. And to me, the two potential big trade themes out there now are potentially being, you know, being seeing bearish stock markets and or uh, some point in here, Michael, gold and silver are a major buy. I mean, they really are. And I'm more focused on the second part of that. I'm more focused on trying to find what are the equities out there that are going to best potentially benefit from a shifting away from thoughts that the Fed is going to be able to normalize interest rates to the Fed can't let the dollar go up. And in fact, they may have to try and depreciate the dollar. I think that move is coming. It's maybe not quite ready yet. You're going to, it's not a one step process. That's the problem. You know, it's, we've always seen one step processes. Now we're not seeing that. And that is why it becomes much more difficult to handicap because we're not sure how quickly things might be able to happen and what the catalyst might be. Um, I can say doing this 31 years, it's never been harder 
to figure it out than it is right now. But it's also what makes it so exciting and, you know, makes me passionate about getting up every morning and, you know, grinding it out to find out, you know, what is really the news of the day. Well, we've only got about two minutes left here, but just one thing on what your comment there is, Greg, is the thing I've been trying to impress upon people uh, relates to your, I, I think, my thing, just so you know, going back about three years, four years talking to groups, said the biggest obstacle in this country is what I called irrational complacency. And uh, I see that going through. But here's the other thing. People have to understand the rate of change is unbelievable. I mean, you look at the oil market and everything rose in Alberta about 14 months ago. And presto, look at today, 55,000 jobs lost, $6 billion deficit from surplus. That's just a reminder. That's just one more example of how fast things are changing. Well, I'll throw you, no, I'll throw you a curveball then, Michael, just to bring it around and to actually provide the full story. I mean, we're, we're never just lopsided, and we're always open to you know, what might be wrong with our view, what might change our view. And mm-hmm. one of the things we do have to keep in mind going forward is that the year-over-year rate of change in petroleum, uh, crude oil, the decline last year, uh, filters out in January. It's at its largest in uh, October, November, and December. And we're right in the meat of that. So we're seeing the, the impression on you know, inflation indicators to a deflationary edge from oil. And that's why this is even more critical, that the Fed does not allow the dollar to go higher because you can spark another run in oil. You're going to lose the chance to get some inflation just from the math. And I'll yeah. tell you what, I mean, to talk about Canada, their core rate's 2.1. You know, you throw in a little energy, uh, you know, a lack of energy deflation, let's say it right because it's not inflation for sure, but you wind out the deflation and that could spook central banks into even being more aggressive on the hawkish side. And wow, wouldn't that be an interesting little twist to everything? So yeah, it's going to be really interesting, and that's why you know we need to keep uh, keep plugged in here. Well, exactly, and that's why I'm I'm so confident uh, in saying people got to pay attention. As you say, you get up excited, I get up interested, and people got to pay attention to this stuff. You can find Greg Weldon at WeldonOnline.com. You can click on the free trial button. Uh, as I say, this is the guy that other analysts read, and you can tell why from just our brief visit here today. Also, Greg will join us at the World Outlook Conference. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time. Always a pleasure. It's my pleasure to contribute to a fine job, Michael. Thank you. I appreciate that. Greg Weldon, WeldonOnline.com. A reminder for the World Outlook Conference, all you have to do is go to MoneyTalks.net and please click on the event button. And I think, hey, great Christmas gift, as I said. Bring uh, your daughter, son, niece, nephew. Take a weekend. It'll be great. Stay with me. My question, how many people have been killed in terrorist attacks in 215? Wait till you hear the answer. Hey, just a quick note. I'm going to be out in Vancouver on Wednesday. It is Orphans Fund Pledge Day on Wednesday. If you're listening from British Columbia, I'm going to be on the air from 12 noon till 2 o'clock on Orphans Fund Pledge Day. I'm asking you, walk the walk, do me a favor, phone in during that time frame and make your donation to so many worthy causes. As If you're a regular to the show, you know how much... Uh, I love the work of Special Olympics, but there's so many other worthy causes that are supported by your donations, as it is throughout the country. I'm just saying, if uh, you're thinking about a donation, Orphans Fund Pledge Day, please uh, remember I'm on from noon till 2, and that's I want my Money Talks listeners to make their donations during that time, and I will certainly do my part on that. Time now for this week's Shocking stat of the week. You know, my own sense is we have a heck of a lot of people 
underestimating the degree of threat of terrorist groups like ISIS, like Boko Haram. I, I think it's probably just because it's too uncomfortable to confront this reality, this blatant reality, though. God, we fall back into let's have happy faces, sunny days, and a couple of verses of kumbaya. It ain't going to get it done. So here's my question. I'm This is just off the top of my head. We had terrorist attacks recently in Mali, Beirut, got that Russian jet airliner, Copenhagen, Paris, Lahore, Marseille, basically all of Nigeria. That's just some of the names on this year's, uh, or the places where terrorist attacks took place this year. But I think the problem's even greater than that. So, here was my test question. It's my shocking stat. Uh, the Institute for Economics and Peace has compiled a list of people who were killed by terrorism in 2014. The last year, obviously, we got a full 12 months. In 2014, how many people were killed by terrorism? I should have that Jeopardy music playing because I want you to give an answer. How many do you think it is? Well, the answer is 32,658. If that doesn't shock you, I don't know what would. I don't know anybody. I asked that question to several uh, friends and business acquaintances over the last couple of days. Nobody is in the ballpark. 32,658 people. Here's equally shocking or scary. The number in 2013 was 18,000. You're talking about a massive move. A massive move. 32,658. I don't know how you underestimate the threat of that. But clearly, some people do. As they say, they put their head in the sand. I'll take a break. I'll come back. Hey, Aussie Jerk has got this great new idea. You're looking for investment real estate opportunities. Here's an area that very few people are talking about that may be really a gold mine as we go forward. Also, Victor Dare live from the trading desk. And if I haven't frustrated you enough, I got a guarantee hate mailer coming up with my Goofy Award. Just a reminder, if you missed any of Greg Weldon or Michael Levy or uh, we had a great Mike's Big Fat Idea this week, uh, one that I think is just really interesting, thanks to Colin Bouquet, uh, you can just go back and listen to it on moneytalks.net. And I'd also encourage you to listen to the business comment every day there. And it doesn't, uh, not because you'll agree with it, but I think we just desperately need to change the conversation in so many of these areas. And uh, my bias is that I think you need research and facts. Uh, which is obviously, I'm not sure if I'd even call myself in the majority with that view, the way things are going right now. But uh, at any rate, I invite you to go to moneytalks.net. Really interesting conversation this morning with uh, Colin Bouquet, with uh, Greg Weldon, Michael Levy, my thanks. And now I've got Ozzy Jurek. And speaking of interesting, I love this idea. Ozzy, we've been talking about, of course, people are, are desperate trying to find, uh, you know, some sort of yield play, you know, and... Uh, I just think you've come up with a real interesting one. Well, it's it's not me. It's actually people that are out there actively trying to get more money out of their out of their property. Like B and B is sort of thousands and thousands of people are renting their property on an overnight basis. But some of the bigger places uh, now go into student housing. Yeah, I, I really interesting. I actually had seen one of uh, somebody talking about this a while ago. They'd start up a website which uh, went to. 
you know, some of these big, big colleges, but they're not part of big cities, if you know what I mean. And they were doing housing for weekends for like student games and stuff. If you're coming in to watch a football game. So this is sort of an adjunct. Uh, I mean, we're talking, it's a major market here. I mean, I mean, have you, how many students do you think are renting in Canada, for example? Well, Canada has 550,000 students. I mean, that's sort of mind-boggling. And certainly the universities, while they offer some student housing, they just don't have the, the, the room. They only find a room for one in five uh, students. So in some of the older hotels now in Vancouver changed over to student housing. And, uh, for instance, the Best Western Plus Downtown Hotel at Drake and Hornby will now operate under the name of GEC Granville Suites. And that's 222 rooms was sold for $40 million, and they'll put in Murphy beds and private tutoring and a caretaker and security guards. And then right wow. beside it, the old Weaver Tower also was bought last year, and it's currently converted totally into student housing. Well, the other thing that's interesting that this plays into, Ozzy, is that a lot of, you know, if it's the aging boomer population, uh, you know, people my age, their kids are grown now. And, uh, you know, sometimes they haven't left the house, but other times they have for a lot of people. And there's (laughs) some spare rooms there. So you're doing a real public service. As you say, you've got, you know, we can take a guess, but somewhere like 400,000 students throughout the country. I mean, whether it's Calgary or Toronto or Vancouver, Victoria, uh, you know, anywhere where there's a major university, that's always a challenge. Where are you going to live? Uh, a lot of the universities, for example, focus on first-year students to let people come in, and that's where their housing goes. And once you get the second year, you're supposed to have had a year to figure it out. So, you know, you're off renting somewhere, so you're doing a service for the students, and you can make some extra dough. No question about it. And it's not limited to Vancouver either. I mean, in Edmonton, one rental developer is now actually building three-bedroom rental units for students, and then they rent out each room for $500 a month. And so the returns are better. That, that elusive yield is actually found in, in using, a, using the properties in a different way. But it's interesting you're talking about people are uh, having empty rooms. I think most people still have their kids living with them. Right? <laughs> it used to, used to be the kids used to leave at 19. Now they come back at 23 with two more kids. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. but... <laughs> We'll do a special on how to get rid of them. <laughs> but if you do, that's still one of the opportunities, as you say. I mean, it's an, just an interesting subject. I mean, and we're talking about, I guess, kids coming from all over the world. Now, I know people right now, by the way, are listening, and they've been participating in this, and they're nodding with us right now, saying, where have you been? But as you say, it's not, you know, it, it could go very uh, micro with like i've got an extra couple of rooms in my house uh it can go macro as you say the purchase of uh uh you know things like the best western plus in downtown vancouver as an example but it's a very interesting marketplace yeah no question and it's growing because we are very popular destination our universities are recognized around the world as being high quality and so we have many students from china but also from other countries that pay very high tuition fees to be there and certainly they need all accommodation, and there's opportunity. Well, it's, as I say, one to absolutely uh, keep in mind, uh, people are already taking advantage, but as you say, it looks like it's getting into a bigger thing when you see a, a hotel in downtown Vancouver being converted, uh, you know, and as you say, in other, other places too. Well, that's one to put on the list, and uh, a, a very interesting topic that obviously addresses a number of issues or takes into account a number of issues. You got any hot properties for us? Yeah, there is something unique today. We have, a, a, you know, there is a barter organization called Trade Exchange Canada, and they will take your services like your 
your commission mm. as a real yeah. or your legal fees or whatever, or you have five brand new couches that you don't know what to do with, you can put them on a trade exchange, and once they accept it, that gives you trade dollars, and they in turn can buy your real estate. Now, right now, there's a six-acre parcel at Sun Peaks for 199000 and the owner will accept up to 40% in those trade dollars. There's a property on Gambia Island, Waterfront, several acres, it's under 275000 there the owner will take 10% in trade. Well, it's real money. It certainly will be accepted as a down payment. So you could actually buy this property without any cash out of your pocket. It's just your services or whatever else you can put on the trade exchange that allows you to buy them. Well, you're on a hot streak today. That's another interesting kind of twist on things. Trade Exchange Canada. Ozzy, thank you so much. Go out and get cold. Yes, it is, but it's spectacularly beautiful. You know what? I'm just thinking with you, though, it's probably not cold yet. You're spending your time. It's skiing season begins here. The golf course is finally safe from the Aussie Jurek Fund, but uh, now the skiers are just going to enjoy the sight of this uh, gorgeous uh, man, this gorgeous German ancestry going down the hills in Lederhosen. Hot pants, I call them actually at home. Leather hot pants. Thanks, Ozzy. Thanks for having me, mate. Ozzy, of course, is uh, hosting at the World Outlook Conference this year. I am very excited about this. Uh, Ozzy is hosting uh, starting at 1 o'clock on Friday, January 29th. We're doing a special on real estate, the kind of stuff you just heard Ozzy talking about. Uh, Really looking forward. Jeff Olin is going to come out. Uh, and boy, he is terrific. Ozzy, of course, will be speaking and hosting a, a raft of other people. Just about real estate. This is going to be great. We have not done this before, so I'm really looking forward to it. And my big thanks to Ozzy for uh, putting it all together. So that's at the World Outlook Conference, January 29th, starting at 1 o'clock. Very easy. Get your tickets by going to worldoutlookconference.com uh, or moneytalks.net the easiest one. And p- click on events, moneytalks.net. So please go out and do it. I think you're going to love it. It's going to be a great, great weekend. I'll take a break. Come back live from the trading desk. Victor Dare is chomping at the bit, and I've got a good Goofy Award. Get your hate mail ready. Let's go live to the trading desk. Victor Dare joins me now. Victor, uh, interesting to hear Greg Weldon talk about the U.S. dollar. That had to be music to your ears. Well, Greg and I have been friends for years, and I really respect his research. been reading it for years. And, yes, Mike, uh, to get right to the point here, the market, in my view, is currently betting heavily on the U.S. dollar as it hits 12-year highs and betting heavily against other currencies and commodities as they hit historic lows. You heard Greg mention that there were a number of currencies around the world that are at all-time record lows. My thing is, is basically, I think where we go from here is one of two things. We either see the U.S. dollar just surge higher. In other words, the bottom falls out of the commodity markets, the bottom falls out of the other currency markets, or we have a, what I would call a short-term correction in the U.S. dollar, because I still think over the longer period of time here, we're going to see it go higher. My, the way I'm betting right now is, and I'm betting very carefully, by the way, is that I think we're going to see the U.S. dollar have a correction. We're going to see things like you know, oil or gold, uh, other currencies rally a bit here against the U.S. dollar. That's kind of my view right now. And I'm, what I have to stress, though, that's a counter-trend play, and I'm being very careful, tr- small size, and if it's not working out, I'm going to get out of the way in a hurry because I think this U.S. dollar could shoot a lot higher over the next year. 
Just a, a quick question, Vic. We're coming to the end of the year. This year-end stuff, like it does in stocks, like I'm thinking if you want to bargain hunt in some down groups, this is next couple of weeks or usually even the next week and a bit are usually a good time because people are selling their stocks to crystallize a loss, you know, for tax reasons. Do you see the same thing in currencies, in commodities? Uh, you know, I'd say no, first off, but what we do see is the currency markets get very thin. In other words, uh, let's say you're a hedge fund and you made some money. Uh, instead of maybe losing it in the last few weeks of the year, you tend to go to the sidelines. The trading mm-hmm. desks are less populated, so the markets are thinner, so we can have some erratic price moves. But here, I call it positioning risk. Okay, let, let me use like my grandma's language. You know, everybody and his dog is long the U.S. dollar, is short things like gold, crude oil, that sort of thing, short Canadian dollars. If something happens to cause that trend to reverse, then those guys are all wrong, okay? And they need to scramble to cover their positions. And that's what gives us a bear market rally within a bear market. And usually a very sharp rally. Uh, You know, I mean, that's why you get this big, you know, really sharp reaction and counter trend moves because people are covering positions. That's a that's a tough one. You know, when I see that kind of action in the market, I always get asked, well, what happened? Well, nothing happened other than the guy said, I've been short. I've made a lot of money and I locked it in by buying, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, we saw, Mike, it's got to be here six weeks or two months or so ago where crude oil jumped $10 in three days. Yeah. That sort of thing. And by the way, of all of the markets that I'm following, crude oil is the one that really got my attention there. I mean, it's, everybody knows the supply-demand story is so, so bearish. Everybody knows the U.S. dollar has been strong. But I'm wondering if the what I call the Mideast risk premium is not in the market. And I'm also coming up on Friday, the week ahead here, we've got the OPEC meeting. Everybody's been saying nothing's going to happen. But we're starting to see signs that maybe – the Saudis in particular, might want to put a floor under oil prices. Who knows? You know, that's a wild card, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a big week in terms of economic news and, and the OPEC meeting uh, this coming Friday. And even if they hint at that, that will give people an excuse to take their profit, to get out of the short side. You know, they've been playing it to go down. They'll say, hey, I'm just going to take that and run. So I think uh, that's a great – I'm glad you finished with that because I should have mentioned it earlier. That's a very pivotal date when the OPEC guys get together. Uh, Victor, as I say, no shortage of stuff to look at. I appreciate very much you finding time. Mike, always a pleasure. Have a good weekend. Victor Adair, live from our trading desk here. My thanks to Victor. My thanks also to Ozzy Jurek. Some great ideas this week. Greg Weldon, you can tell I really enjoy Greg's research, as uh, Victor just alluded to also. Michael Levy, uh, uh, and very interesting, big, fat idea of the week. And if you haven't heard it, go back on moneytalks.net. Listen to Callum, uh, rather Colin Bouquet, uh, founder CEO of VentureRex. Uh, very interesting stuff there uh, in terms of ideas. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a technology-based investment, but it's royalty, which means you get paid first and there's no fees attached. Check it out at soleraclub.com. Time now for this week's Goofy Award. What do you think the public response would be if the head of Mothers Against Drunk Drivers was arrested for driving under the influence? How about a football coach who preaches discipline but consistently gets thrown out of games for swearing and abusing the ref? What about a marriage counselor going through his third divorce because of an affair? Well, I think most of us agree their credibility would suffer. The point is, for any kind of leadership, walking the walk is a key characteristic. 
I mean, we've seen it all the time in athletics. All-time greats like Michael Jordan, Jerry Rice, Wayne Gretzky, all were known for their work ethic in both games and practices. But somehow, the lesson is lost when it comes to prominent advocates of climate change. And I might add, I've been amazed at when I point out the incredible hypocrisy of multi-home-owning, private jet-flying, high-living celebrities like Al Gore, Leonardo DiCaprio, the rest of the Hollywood elites, David Suzuki, Gregor Robertson, climate change disciples get mad at me. You're not allowed to question anything, and they are wrong. Talk about shooting the messenger. That kind of hypocrisy is undermining the calls for the immediate and urgent action. And now... What, 50,000 are descending on Paris for another do-nothing, 24th installment of the climate change gab fest? Keep in mind, nothing's happening there. There's no reason to go. The agreements are negotiated behind the scenes. They already know the outcome. While there's lots of company, i got to go to President Obama, front and center, because he's the guy who stands up all the time and says climate change is the world's most important problem. Not ISIS. Not poverty, not homelessness. He says it's climate change. But my goodness, that guy does not walk the walk. So on behalf of all the climate change posers who absolutely refuse to take meaningful personal action, he gets my goofy. Consider this. He's arriving in Paris with an entourage of 500 people, 200 Secret Service agents, a team of six doctors. Oh, and he wasn't going to be without his personal chef and kitchen staff, 35 vehicles, 12 teleprompters, 12 speechwriters, presidential helicopter. And that's still not all. The symbolism is enough, you know, is enough for some people. It's not enough here. You know what? They are putting people like uh, the guy who formed Instapundit, I think uh, Glenn Reynolds, Tennessee law professor who says, I'll believe it's a crisis when the people who keep telling me it's a crisis start acting like it's a crisis. Boy, and he could have added, instead of, or he did add, instead of just filling their pockets, their egos at the expense of others, he could have added, as well as taxpayer-funded trips for Paris. It's time to walk the walk on a personal level. You're holding it back. That's all the time we have. Have a great weekend.